0: Hello everyone, welcome to 10 Minute Country with me James Dakin, episode 40, Why Musical Genres Are No Longer Important. Yep, yeah, that's right, after a couple of episodes of interviews and things we're back on uh, the opinionating again this week and I'm going to have a look at musical genres and um, you know why they are changing, blurring, coming down uh, in this modern age. The relevance to genre definitions um, and, and country music has been uh, uh, recently in the news with the little Nas X um, "Old Town Road" song and uh, Billy Ray Cyrus's involvement in it, and Bobby Bones is championing it on his radio show. And we've all found ourselves in that old... Uh, is it country, is it not country, Um, and oddly for me I found the whole Old Town Road thing uh, not country and uh, made me re-examine some of my own um, ideas and thoughts regarding genres and then once you look into the definition of musical genres and the historical basis out of which they were created it leads you down quite an interesting rabbit hole clearly things are changing and people are working with um, artists and musicians from different genres and I'm going to have a look today at um, you know what's happening uh, in the whole industry and why I think the genres are coming down and why I think it's probably a good thing so strap yourselves in get ready for I don't know here's, here's a TED talk or something Wikipedia states that uh, genre definition is the artistic nature of musicians and the classification of music, which is often subjective and controversial, and it may often overlap. And actually, they say recently, uh, academics have argued that categorising music by genre is inaccurate and outdated. So their definition of a musical genre is this, a conventional category that identifies some pieces of music as belonging to a shared tradition or a set of conventions. In country music, I think you can probably define that as a style of largely string-accompanied American music, sorry British people, having roots in the folk music of American, sorry British people, uh, South and West, um, it's usually vocalised, generally simple in form and harmony, typically romantic or melancholy ballads accompanied by acoustic and electric guitar, banjo, violin, fiddle and harmonica. I don't want to get hung up too much today on what is country and what isn't country. I want to talk about genre definitions you know, in a wider sense. But I like that definition of it's a piece of music that belongs to a shared tradition or a set of conventions. What I can't get my head around, though, is who decided what those conventions are. You know, we're always sort of working and shouting about what's belonging to any one genre or not, what's country, what's not country. Who's decided this? Who made the rules? And actually, when you look into this, it makes you feel a little bit like a stooge. Because music genres were created by the radio industry and the music labels back in the 1920s and 30s. You know, they attempted to package their fledgling products to the public. And it was their need, their desire, their drive to sell as much as they possibly could. So right after World War I, you know, radio was the king. It was the only way to access music. Uh, it's the only way to get to consumers on a large scale. And radio stations obviously made their money by selling adverts. And the advertisers were more inclined to pay if they knew that a radio station could deliver a specific demographic who were likely to purchase their products. And so the collusion begins. The radio stations quickly became aware of this and they began to change their output. So they moved from diverse scheduling, you know, programs that would play a wide range of music into producing programmed content that had just specific sounds to it. This meant the advertisers, depending on what they were flogging, could send their products and their adverts to particular programmes because the radio stations were going, Ah, well, all this music is guitar-driven music for young white people, or, oh no, well, this is uh, black people's music, and yes, that happened in those days. And, you know, the record companies are complicit in this duplicity as well because they began to realise that producing and writing songs aimed at specific genders, ages, ethnicities would maximise their revenue. It would appeal to radio and appeal to advertisers. And bang, the music industry was born in the 20s and the 30s. So, in the cold light of day, you've got to see that genres were only created because of the demographics required by the companies purchasing advertising on radio. It did not come from the musicians themselves. This need to create a genre did not come from the listener. It came from the radio industry, it came from the record company, and it came from advertisers working together to take money out of people's pockets. The next big thing that happened came in 1936, because it was then that Billboard magazine, which actually was created in 1894, began to report on the sales and airplay of specific songs according to charts that they organised by musical genre. Billboard magazine is an industry publication, and it helps businesses follow trends and decide where to invest their money and sell records, and it helps advertisers to decide where to place their products. So in 1936, it created a pop chart aimed at young, upper-middle-class white people. It created a race chart aimed at African-Americans. There was a country chart and a jazz chart. The genres weren't created by musicians. There was no drive there. This was the advertisers. But as we can see in our modern uh, times, people are inherently tribal. And the idea of genres cemented in many people's imaginations, and, and they started to become proud to belong to a particular tribe. You know, and for decades, people have become accustomed to only being li- willing to listen to one type of genre or style of music. And I am the perfect example of this. You know, the 15-year-old me in 1986 discovered Bon Jovi's You Give Love a Bad Name. Um, that opened a massive door for me. And within a month, I was listening to Def Leppard, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, and a very fledglingly young uh, Metallica. Uh, And for the next 10, 15 years, I proudly sort of defined myself as a heavy metal fan. Uh, And and within that, I listened to rock, AOR, MOR, soft rock, hard rock, thrash, everything. All the sub-genres of heavy metal. I was obsessed with it. I was proud. I was contemptuous of all other forms of music. You know, I was a snobbish rock fan looking down at the musically bland masses from my gothic ivory tower in a cut-off black tour t-shirt and denim jacket replete with band patches and logos. And I bloody loved it. Even now, at 47, I define myself as a country fan. I still listen to some of the rock music from those days in a sort of nostalgic way. But I seem to only be able to mentally cope with living, in one, in, living inside one genre um, you know, at any given time. Within that genre of country, I like all sorts of stuff. But I still feel the need to define myself when people say, What do you listen to? I listen to country oh I sometimes listen to rock or i go and see old rock bands from the 80s with my mates for for laughs but i i, I listen to country i don't listen to anything else and yet bizarrely you know, my, my 16-year-old Gen Z daughter is the complete polar opposite of this. And research shows that the generation above her, the millennials, are the polar opposite of this. They are completely different. My daughter listens to Moore and Old Dominion and Cam. But at the same time, you'll find her listening to The Killers or Catfish and The Bottlemen or Post Malone or Taylor Swift. She has no genre loyalty and she pokes fun at me for defining myself as a rock fan or as a country fan. There's no blinkers on her, and she has no wish to belong to any one musical tribe. And it makes me wonder why. I think there are a number of reasons. Some of them have come from musicians themselves. So musicians have become increasingly ambitious and are increasingly cross-pollinating with each other. Um, it's The cynical amongst you might suggest that the proliferation of collaborations is nothing more than just the record labels trying to open doors to genres and demographics that have been previously shut to them. But there is an undisputable wave of musical invention uh, sweeping through the, the record industry. You know, Ryan Adams, boo, covered Taylor Swift's 1989 album in its entirety. Miley Cyrus has worked with The Flaming Lips. Lady Gaga worked with Metallica. Nick Cave worked with Kylie Minogue. Jay-Z and Linkin Park. Drake and Adele. Clean Bandit and Elton John. Rihanna and Coldplay. Will I Am and Mick Jagger. Dappy and Brian May have all worked together in the past 10, 15 years Creating new sounds, creating blurred genres. Where did this start? If you want my honest opinion, it started back in 1986 with Aerosmith and Run MC. You know, I, I was a massive rock fan at that point, big Aerosmith fan, um, you know, and the record company somehow got two genres where the fans intensely distrust each other to love a singular song, Walk This Way. That, to me, that one song, that one collaboration is patient zero for the blurring of the musical industry and the genres that have since... So, you know, It's quite sort of uh, symbolic, really, that in 1936, Billboard magazine created genre, the genre charts, and in 1986, exactly 50 years later, Aerosmith and Run DMC began to bring it down. Nowhere is this more in evidence than country music, where you get people like Maren Morris working with Zed. Um, I really love Cam's new song that she's got out there with Diplo. And um, last week, you know, Kit Moore, the, the most rockiest, gruffest, uh, intractable country artist, released a disco version of his track The Bull. It's happening, folks, whether you like it or not. And the thing I love about this reason is that the musicians themselves are driving this. Yes, it might be the record company going, well, why don't you work with this artist and then greedily looking at the demographic of fans that they might bring into the fold. But, for the, you know, the musicians don't have to do this. And so this blurring of styles and this bringing down of the walls is coming from the musicians themselves who didn't have a say in 1936 when the walls went up. So power to the musicians and well done you guys. The head of um, Columbia Records, Sam Potts, went on record as saying that millennials are the first generation to literally have the entirety of the world's music collection at their fingertips. So, platforms like YouTube and Spotify have broken down the barriers as well. Uh, They've removed the need for radio, TV, and magazine influencers. You know, people like me. <laughs> um, you know, and he went on to say, traditionally fans consumed music that was served to them by gatekeepers and tastemakers. But now, because we live in a disconnected economy, they're more likely to be influenced by their friends, celebrities, and social media. Um, I would say that the only limit on your ability to dis- to discover music now is just time, because for me, everything is out there. Y- you just have to have the time to find it. So it's clear that the rise of social media, the rise of streaming has also had a hand in um, you know, bringing down the genre definitions. Look at Spotify. They now produce playlists for specific moods, p- times and emotions. You can get a playlist Spotify to listen to at the beach. You can get a playlist Spotify to put on at the weekend. You can get one for a dinner party. You can get one for a coffee break. Uh, And people like my daughter and the millennials above her have changed their listening habits so they don't necessarily listen to individual artists anymore. They listen to music to create a mood for the time they are living in. And maybe this is the Instagram society wanting to, you know, to live in that moment and to have the perfect um, experience. And so they've started to listen to music based on what they are doing and not who is producing the music. Alongside this, um companies like Apple have created things like the shuffle culture in which you can just create your own radio station tailored to your own personal likes and needs. You know, and again, this has removed the need for someone else to tell you what to listen to. But the byproduct of that is that it's brought back this idea that the individual song is king. We've moved away, I think, as a society from listening to particular artists or whole albums and the whole idea of singular songs creating moods and moments has become um, important to people again and this suits country music uh incredibly well because i think alongside things like the nashville tv show and the c2c festival Shuffle culture has put the emphasis back on the glory of the single song again, and country music has always been about the single hit song rather than about the intricacy of putting a well-crafted album together. That idea of a concept album or a well-crafted album is more, for me, is more uh, something that belongs to the rock genre. The whole existence of the town of Nashville is predicated, even to this day, on the bedrock of that eternal search for the next big hit. you know, and I think millennials can see the beauty in a great one-off country song like "Cam's Burning House" or "Marin Morris's "My Church," without feeling the need to delve any deeper into those artists' back catalog. So the song, once again, a bit like it was, say, in the 50s and 60s, is now king. And the the whole idea of a complete album, um, you know, isn't in vogue anymore. Artists are starting to release songs one by one. Look at Delta Ray. They're releasing one song every Friday this month. Other artists have gone back to just releasing EPs, four, five, six-shot blasts, rather than full albums. And I'm not saying this is a good thing because, you know, I still am a fan of the 12, 13, 14, no more than 14 track album. Um, And so I don't like particularly this move towards just one single songs. But, you know, I can see that my daughter does. And, you know, she is the future of the music industry. But the musicians themselves are changing. Look at someone like Lucas Nelson. He is the epitome of the very modern uh, recording artist, and yet his music is undefinable. There, he does not belong to any one genre. You know, you can listen to a track of his, like, Running Shine, which is pure Americana, but then find yourself listening to Die Alone, uh, 70s influence, rock and roll, Rolling Stones. It segues into Forget About Georgia, uh, which is essentially a blues or a gospel song. And I had the privilege yesterday of listening to a new a stream of his new album, and there's a song on there called Where Does Love Go, which is just pure Roy Orbison. The very final song on his new album, Turn Off the News, is a song called Stars Made of You, which made me think of Neil Diamond. What genre does Lucas Nelson belong in? And does it even really bloody matter? Well, it does for sales to a certain extent, because if the record company can't market him to a certain demographic, then you know, he runs the risk of falling between the stools, But to me, he is a very modern reflection and the very epitome of where the music industry is going. He's unconstrained. He is undefined and he just produces the music that's in his soul. And he does not worry about where it's going to get marketed because he knows anyone in the world at the touch of their fingertips can pick up his album. And that, my friends, is, I think, where we are going as... Um, a society and our musical taste and the way we consume music, I think, thanks to social media, there are endless ways to express yourself now. Um, and I think music has lost its tribal importance. Things like sexuality, gender, political leanings, and other diverse definitions have risen to the fore in these increasingly fractious times. And perhaps... Consider this, that genreless music is actually maybe one of the few things left still holding us together as a society whilst we squabble like little kids in the playground about everything else. Back in 1986, I probably only had, you know, music and the threat of an impending nuclear war to worry about, and so I became tribal in my music. Now, music might well be something that's holding us all together. Certainly, my daughter and her friends don't define themselves by music at all. There are so many more important and more meaningful things that they become tribal about. And so one thing is clear. I think musical genres and definitions are breaking down. And it's only the gatekeepers who are full of fear and unwilling to move forward that are shouting the loudest about it. And it's just like everything across the whole span of the human race. If you don't change, you die. No one has ever held back human change and evolution. People have tried, people have shouted, people have resisted. But you cannot stop the tidal wave of change, for good or bad. You know, we are a primal, unstoppable force. Music goes right to the heart of who we are and runs deep through our soul. But I think now, uh, uh, this time more than any other time since 1936 when Billboard magazine created musical genres, it, it, they are losing their importance, they are losing their power and I think it's an absolutely wonderful thing. And you need to get on board or you get left behind. Thanks for listening today. I've been um, James Dake, and This has been... 20-minute country, but, uh, you know, I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for hanging on in there.